Thank you, Shayla, for sharing with us. Amazing what God's done in her life from saving her out from University of Tennessee, bringing her to Memphis, um, training her up. It's been amazing just to see uh, Shayla even pour into our church and do ministry here and see the Lord call her. And uh, so we're praying for many more of those. And so there's a little commitment card that you can see at the bottom. It says, I want to be a a missionary, you can, you can select that, and Andy would love to talk to you. So, um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. If this is your guest, if you're a guest or if you're first time, we've been walking through 1 John for a while on Sunday night worship. And last week we looked at 1 John 4, 1 through 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 7 tonight. John is sometimes referred to as the apostle of love. We've been reminded over and over again in this book. He's been circling back around to it. This is the third time that he spent time speaking about love and God's love. And he does so in 1 John 2, 7 through 11. In, verse, in chapter 3, 11 through 18. And now here in chapter 4, verses 7. And even outside of the Bible, in historical books, historians recorded that in the last weeks of John's life, he was too weak to go to worship on his own, to his own church. So the elders of his church would literally carry him on a pallet. It's pretty convicting, right? And his very last time in church, the last thing he said to his congregation is, Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. So it makes sense that John is called the apostle of love. Now, it's interesting that he talks about love so much. He talks about loving others because a loving God is revolution to many in his day. His contemporaries, a loving God is revolutionary to many in his day. Many of the Greek and Roman gods were not considered loving. They were considered powerful, royalty, looked out for the general of mankind, but were also unpredictable and at times very temperamental. When using the word love in reference to the gods, it was used to represent man's love for gods and not God's love for man. Mankind did not have a personal relationship with the gods. So they were transcendent and not personal. So when Jesus and the apostles, and especially John, came on the scene you know, preaching one true and living God and that their God loves mankind. And because of that love for mankind, mankind has a relationship with God. Commentaries say that it was, it blew their minds. The fact that God loved them and that they could go and pray to God and he welcomed their direct worship. And they actually had a a real relationship with God. It was kind of the opposite of what they were used to. Also, the love of God has for man impacts how they loved others. None of this fit into the normal Greek-Roman God-love categories. It was very revolutionary to them. So this is probably the reason that John spent much time on the topic of love. And honestly, the love of God is very different from our culture's categories as well. Though we might not be... uh, a polytheistic society, the love of God is completely different from the way our world operates today, isn't it? 
The world says love is an emotional feeling that I feel towards someone or something or the way someone or something makes me feel. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. It's very different, right? So let's read our passage together and see what John has to say about God's love in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Hear the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together and ask God to bless our time. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come into your presence, to worship you. And now as we open your word to study it, We ask that you would illuminate our minds to understand it. Would you soften our hearts that we might be molded by it? Would you give us your spirit in order that you would transform our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage tonight helps us understand this revolutionary love. And it answers three questions. Here are the three questions. In verses 7 through 8, it answers the question of where do we find God's love? Where do we find God's love? In verses 9 through 10, it answers the question, how do we know God's love? And in verses 11 through 12, where do we see God's love? Where do we find God's love? How do we know God's love? And where, where do we see God's love? So let's look at the first question, where do we find God's love? I'm going to tell you the answer right off the bat. The, where we find God's love is God is the source of our love. And we find that in verses 7 through 8. How do we know that? Well, in verses 7 through 8, there's three phrases that tell us a lot. The first phrase is from God. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. The words from God help us know that love originates from him. He is the source. During our one of our last you know, water boil advisories, I know that some of you just got PTSD from this, but... From one of our last water boil advisories, a question was asked in my house of where does water actually come from? And if you're young, you might think maybe the faucet, or if you're a little bit more advanced, it might come from the Mississippi River or maybe things that catch water. But actually, the Memphis source of water is the Memphis Sands Aquifer. Here's what MLGW website says. While most of the world's drinking water originates from surface lakes, streams, and rivers— Memphians enjoy the unique privilege of water derived from the Memphis Sands Aquifer, where is 100 trillion gallons of water. Pretty amazing, right? So what we do is we, there's water's underneath our ground pretty far, so we drill down and pump out the water so that we can drink it, so we can wash, take showers, and so on. So the Memphis Sand Aquifer is our source for water. Well, where does love come from? It comes from God. We can look for it in a lot of different places, right? But ultimately, where we can find the true love is only from God. He is our source of love because it's from God, right? 
Why? Why is that? Why is it from God? Well, let's look at the next phrase. God is love. In verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the very essence of God is love. Notice it doesn't say God is loving, which is true, or that God loves, which is also true. But notice it says that he is love. The very attribute of God is love. Love is part of his very character, which means he cannot operate outside of it. Just like one of the main properties of snow is water, the very attribute of God is love. And because he is love, his every thought, intention, and action is always love. And isn't that comforting that our God is love and that we have a God that we can go to with our cares and concerns and that we can submit our lives to him and knowing who he is and that he will only respond to us and care for us in love. We see this all over the Bible. Uh, we see this in when the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, for forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and so on. We also see it in Psalm 136, his steadfast love endures forever. How do we know he's a source of love? Because love is from him. And why? It's because he is love. But let's look at the next phrase. There's a phrase that says, born of God. Verse 7 says, whoever loved has been born of God and knows God. What this verse is saying is in in order for us to have the ability to truly love, to tap into God's love, just like we tap into the the aquifers, one must be born of God. What this is saying is we cannot manufacture love on our own. Because love is from God and God is love, therefore we must be born of God to have the ability to find love and to love. Now, Born of God is an interesting phrase. Uh, John wrote about this more in detail in John 3, um, in the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. You can go and look at it afterwards if you want to. But let me give you a simple definition. Reformed churches would say that being born again, being born of God, means this. The inward working of the Spirit, which includes the sinner ability to respond to the effectual call. The inward working of the spirit, which induces the ability to respond to the effectual call. So what this means is this. Because of our fallenness, we cannot follow God on our own. We cannot respond in faith and repentance. And we cannot love on our own. Because when sin entered into our life, we've become fallen. Our hearts were hardened, right? But what it means to be born again is when the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates our hearts. He changes our hearts from hearts of stones to hearts of flesh so that we have the ability to respond in faith and repentance. So we have the ability to understand God's love, but also to love others. And this is what it's explained in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. It reads, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. (laughs) What we see here is that love is from God because he is love. And we know that he is a source because we have to be born of God to have the ability to understand it and to love others. He is the true source of love. So if this is the case, then the song, I have only, I've been looking for love in all the wrong places, is rings true, right? So many times we try to find love through others, through family, through our spouses, through kids, through who we're dating, through our friendships, or through our success and work. We try to find it through affirmation or recognition, being needed, or even things that we think give us love or worth, right? Beauty or being in shape or money or Instagram likes or views, popularity or sports. If God says that he is the source of love, and if we go to these things to find love, what's going to happen is we're going to come up empty every single time. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the, the fountain of living waters. And if you doubt, cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns cannot hold water. What this is, is everything that we go to, they're broken cisterns. It will never fulfill us. We'll never be able to find true love from that. And the source of true love is the Lord. So where do we find God's love? Well, God is the source. Second question is, how do we know God's love? That's the second question. What do I mean by know when I say, how do we know God's love? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded, the word concluded also sometimes is knows, we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died, right? The word concluded means to have resolved on, to have the evidence and then pass judgment on, right? Or to know deeply. So the question is, how do we know God's love deeply? Well, the answer is God demonstrates and proves his love by sending his son. We find that in the next two verses, in question, uh, verses 9 through 10. And it reads, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In these two verses, John pulls out three, three measures to help us know how to truly know God. The first measure is notice the value of God's love. John says that God sent his only son to us, right? This is the similar wording to John three sixteen when it says his one and only son. This tells us that Jesus was uniquely God's son. Very unique. No one else was that, which shows deity in the uniqueness of his relationship. And Jesus knew this too. He calls God Abba, which means daddy. And he spoke of himself as the son, meaning that he was one more than any other servant of God. So he sent the son, his one and only son. Now his love is measured by the value of what is given or exchanged. Then how much does God love us by not withholding his one and only son. How much does God love us 
by the value of what he gave. He gave his only son. It's truly amazing. But notice the next measure. So it's value, but notice the next measure. Verse 10 says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Notice the motivation. That's the measure. The motivation of his love. He didn't send his son because we earned his love, because the righteous things that we've done, because we're good people. Nor did he send his son because of our love for him. He felt so loved by us that he wanted to come and send his son for us. But he sent his son because he loved us first. His love, not ours, was the motivation in sending his son. I love Deuteronomy 7 when it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, actually. But it's because the Lord loves you. The the motivation for sending his son was purely out of love for you. But on the other side of the coin, his motivation for sending his son was in spite of our sinfulness. In spite of our lack of love for him. He sent his son purely because he loved us and he chose us. And he wanted to pursue us to make a way to have fellowship with him. So that's the second measure. What was the motivation? The third measure and how we can know him is through uh, the measure of what he accomplished on the cross. Verse 10 says, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, That's a very interesting word. A lot of people really can't even pronounce it. I can barely pronounce it. But one of my professors, Ligon Duncan, he defines propitiation as averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. Averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. And that gift would be Jesus. It refers to the turning away the wrath of God on us, right? As the judgment of our own sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? He averted the wrath of God that was purposed for us and it was poured out on Christ. He was a substitute for us on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ if we put our faith and repentance in him, reconciling our fellowship with him. And uh, Rachel and I started dating in 2009, technically. In 2010, we were close to being engaged. And I lived in Memphis, here in Memphis. um, And she lived in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, She was on staff with CEO Central Illinois. Uh, but her family lives in Knoxville. So that's why I like no- make fun of Knoxville all the time. And, uh, but one t- during one part, I guess in May, she was driving from Peoria to, to Knoxville. And we had an idea of we're going to uh, go on a date in Nashville and hang out with each other. And I was going to come back. Um, but in 2010, in May, there was a really big flood uh, here in Memphis and in Nashville. And so, you know, I woke up one morning, I lived with two guys who used to be on staff here with Campus RH, and they're like, hey, Brett, you, you probably shouldn't go to Nashville. And I was like, I'm going to Nashville. And they're like, you're in tornadoes and a lot of flooding. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to Nashville. So I got in my car, and on the way, there was, you know, Interstate 40 was shut down multiple times, and so I had to go off and find off-roads and go around I even had to call my dad one point, and this was before 
we had our Google Maps or whatever. I was like, can you, here's my pen. I'm going to send you my pen. Can you find me a way around? It took me 12 hours to get to Nashville. And, but not one time that I think I was ever going to turn back around. Uh, my friends were like, you need to come back. I was like, no. But the reason, and we were really close to being engaged. And she knew I loved her because I took 12 hours to get to Nashville. And she knew it was like going past mudslides, everything. It was, she knew my love for that. We know that God loves us by the value of him sending his only son. We know he loves us by the motivation of, of his love, by, by purely just loving us and wanting to send his son. And we know his love because we accomplished on the cross. So that's the second question. The last question, very quickly, is where do we see God's love? The answer is God's love is made tangible through us. We find that in verses 11 and 12. There's a cause and effect happening here. You know, the cause and effect, the, the universal law is, is the cause of effect states that every effect, there is a definite cause. Likewise, every cause, there's a definite effect. So growing up as a boy and having a brother, I only had a brother, and my first child only being a boy or being a boy, I realized that little boys early on in life have a little understanding of a cause and effect. They, they struggle with it. If, for example, if you throw at a ball at a window, it will break. Um, if you put a knife to a tire, it will make it leak. Things have happened in my life recently. If you jump on your sister, no matter if you're just playing, it will hurt her and she will cry, right? There are cause, there's a cause and effect here. If we know God in his love, then we will love others. The, the fruit of knowing God's love is always loving others. Now, not that we love always in our life, we're fallen people, but the fruit of knowing God's love means that we will at times love others. And because of God's love, the cause, the effect is that we'll do that, we'll love others. And verse 11 says, because beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we see this all over in 1 John and all over the Bible, really. Uh, in our passage, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Therefore, the opposite is true as well, right? If there's no love in your life for others, then you really need to probably go back and check if you really have known God's love, right? Verse 8 says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we know God's love, we'll love others. But also, and this is the one I want to spend most of my time on, God's love is made tangible through his loving, through his children loving others. God's love is made tangible through his children loving others. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When he uses the words, his love is perfected in us, there are two schools of thought on this. And I don't, I don't think that they're at odds against each other. One school of thought is that um, he's using the words to show the love of God to others is being completed by obedience to the word. That's one school of thought. When we love others, it's being completed in us because we're being obedient to the word. The other school of thought, when it says, no one has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. That through us, though they cannot see God, through us loving others, 
they they then can see God. Through us loving others, they then can see God. It's perfected in us when we love others. Though they cannot see God, they can see it when we love others. Now, as we started uh, this talk, I was talking about the the revolution, uh, revolution way. God's love was revolutionary to them, to the Greek and Roman world, right? And they had no categories for it. Christians were experiencing a lot of persecution. However, things started to change in the Greek and Roman world in their early church when they started to see God's love. Christians were known to love each other well. They were spending time together in the early church. They were given to others as they, as, as they needed. You see that in Acts 2. But even to outsiders, they were known to show hospitality. They were known to love all types of ethnicities and cultures. And they showed mercy to those in need. And the Greek and Roman world started to see God's love in action. They started to inquire about it. And one of the books I was reading on it said Christianity exploded off the, the love Christians had for each other. It grew incredibly fast. Although the, the early church in the Greek, uh, the Greek and Roman world could not see God visibly, and then I not go to church to hear about God's word, but they saw the love of God by the way the early church was showing the love of God to others. So where do we see God's love? We see it through the way we love one another. And our world, our world needs to see God's love, doesn't it, right? As a church here in Memphis, we have a great opportunity to love each other and our city well. One of the great vehicles that we have to do that is through our parishes. As we come together in our neighborhoods, as we care for each other, and we can tangibly show our city the love of God where our city will start to ask the question, what is, what's going on over there? I don't, I don't think I have a category for that. I'm, I'm interested to know more. I'm attracted to the way that they love each other. What's, what's behind that, right? That's the way we love others, the way we can see the love of God. And as we close... Another way that we can know the love of God and experience the love of God is coming to this table, right? We see God's love for us as we remember Jesus' body and blood shed for us. And even as we partake of the elements, there's a special moment where the Lord is fellowshipping with us. We can experience his love right there in that moment. And also, as we partake of it, we can look forward to the day when one day he'll come back and make all things new, and ultimately we will feast with them physically at a table. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your love. And we thank you that it is revolutionary to this world. Because we are in desperate need of it. And Father, as we come to the table, Lord, I pray that we come and so become spiritually nourished to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.